0: Hey, hey, how are y'all? Good, happy Father's Day to the guys. It's a good crowd for this first service. You folks are really something. Yeah, thank you for being here. I um, want to say something at the outset just to kind of set the stage for this message, all right? So I want you to really pay attention to what I'm about to say. Everybody in this room, is in one of three places right this minute. You are either about to go into a crisis that you have no idea is coming, or you are in the middle of a crisis and you have no idea if and when it will end, And third, or third, you have recently come out of a crisis with a little bit better understanding of how life works and how you work and maybe how God works. Everybody in this room is in one of those three places. Now, that's important when we get into uh, the text that we're going to be reading in just a moment. Now, as you can tell, I'm an old man. I'm a 70s rocker. I actually still play drums in a 70s rock band. So don't get up and leave. Preachers can actually rock and roll. My favorite summer soundtrack was released in the summer of 1972. It was released by a rock group called Steely Dan on an album called Can't Buy a Thrill. And it's a song that's entitled Reeling in the Years. It goes your everlasting summer, you can see it fading fast. So you grab a piece of something that you think is going to last. Well, you wouldn't even know a diamond if you held it in your hand. The things you think are precious, I can't understand. Well, you've been telling me you were a genius since you were 17. And all the time I've known you, I still don't know what you mean. The weekend at the college didn't turn out like you planned. The things that pass for knowledge, I can't understand. Are you reeling in the years? are you stowing away the time are you gathering up the tears have you had enough of mine are you reeling in the years when pastor ken called me and asked me to fill in for him today and he said we're going to do summer soundtracks a series through psalms and he says Everybody has, most everybody has their favorite summer soundtrack. Immediately, I thought about reeling in the years. And when I thought about reeling in the years, this concept of time, immediately my mind went to uh, the psalm we're going to read today Psalm 90. Let me also say this. I've got to say this. Anybody who preaches from this stage. Steps into shoes that are way too big to fit. Kim Sermons is a preaching machine. Good gracious. There's a reason why his last name is Sermons. (laughs) I mean, he ought to write a book called Sermons Sermons. And it would he's just incredible. And I'm honored to be here and to preach in his stead. If you have access to your Bible, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, pretty popular psalm. You, I'm sure, are familiar with some of the most popular verses within Psalm 90. But I doubt seriously that any of us are that familiar with the psalm in its entirety. And I'm going to read the psalm in its entirety because... When you read it in its, in its entirety, you notice uh, some strange twists within this psalm. It's a psalm, uh, the ascription the above the psalm says it is a song of Moses, which means one of two things, either Moses wrote this psalm, in which case it would be probably the oldest psalm in the book of psalms or it means that this psalm was written in memory of or in honor of Moses but it's an incredible psalm so I want you to look with me to this psalm and I'm going to read all 17 verses of this psalm Lord you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight or like a day that has just gone by, like a watch in the night. And yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, all our days pass away under your wrath we finish our years with a moan our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures and yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away if only we knew the power of your anger your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. May your deeds, for as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90 is not a happy psalm. In fact, it's a painful psalm it's painful because the writer of this psalm and it's a prayer the writer of this psalm is crying out to god and speaking some painfully brutally honest things to god it's the honesty of so many of the psalms that makes me love them so much because i read some of the psalms and there are times in my life when i have wanted to say to god some of the things that these psalmists said to him and i was afraid to do it so remember those three places that i mentioned at the outset of this sermon do y'all remember that hello if you happen to be in that middle section where you're in the middle of a crisis this psalm is for you this psalm is going to be right in your gearbox because if you're in in the middle of a crisis you probably have spent some moments when in your mind if not in your voice you've said nothing makes sense anymore this psalm addresses what to do when nothing makes sense anymore so if you're in that second place this psalm is for you now if you're in the first or the third places uh, don't check out because again if you're in that first spot where you're not in a crisis you will be just a matter of time and if you are just coming out of a crisis don't think oh man i don't need to hear this i've already come out of that crisis you will go into another one because that is the spiraling process that you and I call life now before we get into Psalm 90 and just pick it apart I want to I want to say some things about the book of Psalms there are two things in particular I want to say about it number one the Book of Psalms was the the worship resource for ancient Judaism. That is when the ancient Jews went to worship. However, their worship was made up the Psalms, the Book of Psalms was their worship resource. By that I mean it contains hymns, songs, responsive readings, responsive readings where a leader would get up and read part of a statement and the crowd would then all together say something in response to the leader responsive readings are in the book of psalms and there are prayers psalm 90 again is a prayer it was the worship resource now in terms of the songs and hymns we do not have the melodies i wish we did we don't have the melodies we only have the lyrics the words but i thank god that we do have the words so the book of psalms is a worship resource for ancient judaism the second thing i want you to know is some things you already know and that is that the book of psalms contains 150 poems or psalms and those 150 psalms written by several different authors david king david is uh, most of them are attributed to david but not all but this book of psalms is further divided up into five books if you look in your bibles and you read through psalms if you if you carefully read the, the the little small fine print above the psalms there, there are going to be five of those psalms that say book one and a little bit later book two a little later book three book four and book five there are five books within the book of psalms more than likely although we can't say this for sure the editors divided the book of psalms up into five books so that it would mimic the five books of moses or the five books of the law at the beginning of the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy we're going to have five books of law so let's have five books of worship resources each one of those five books ends with a similar what we call a doxology a doxology means words of praise for instance psalm 41 ends book one within the psalms and the last verse of psalm 41 says this praise be to the lord the god of israel from everlasting to everlasting amen and amen that's a word of praise a doxology Similarly, Psalm 89, which concludes book 2, says this, or book 3, excuse me, says this, Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. It's not the same words of praise, but similar words of praise. And each of the five books ends with similar words of praise. So you have a worship resource songs hymns prayers responsive readings divided up into five books probably to mimic the five books of Moses the five books of the law but there's something else about the book of Psalms that and and this is really to me the most incredible observation about uh, Psalms back in 1985 there was an Old Testament scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann he wrote a book called the message of the Psalms and in that book, Brueggemann observed that there were three categories of psalms. Now, he gives them technical terms. Forgive me for the technical terms. I'll unpack them for us. But he says, within the, the Psalter, there are psalms of orientation. Second, there are psalms of disorientation. And then third, there are psalms of new orientation three categories of psalms and Brueggemann further said that every human being at any point in their lives is in one of three different places the places I mentioned to you earlier and he says the three categories of psalms correlate with which place a person finds himself or herself at any given time there are psalms of orientation a psalm of orientation is one where that's uh, written by a writer where in in his life everything is working like it's supposed to everything's working like it's supposed to um <coughs> excuse me god acts like you would expect god to act life is working out like it's supposed to work out Uh, family's doing great everything is hunky-dory if if you follow God he blesses you if you disobey God he punishes you everything works like it's supposed to work those are psalms of orientation psalm 1 is an example of a psalm of orientation blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful for his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night he's like a tree planted by rivers of water his leaf will will never wither his fruit never fade everything he does prospers not so the ungodly for the ungodly is like chaff that's blown away by the wind the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. Everything works out a certain way. The way it's supposed to work out. Those are psalms of orientation. Then there are psalms of disorientation. In a psalm of disorientation, the writer has, has gotten into a funk, into a pit. Uh, he he has, has, is experiencing a crisis That was unexpected unanticipated he doesn't know what to do with it and all of a sudden life doesn't work out isn't working out like it's supposed to he's not thinking rationally Uh, the family has gone to pot and where is God the thing about Psalms of disorientation is that when you read them if you've never read the Psalms before and I wish we could all read the Psalms like we've never read them before the trouble is we read them because, and from a basis of we've read them before and they really don't affect us that much we're immune to the shock value these Psalms, Psalms of disorientation they say things that are shocking my God my God Why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 19, Psalm 22. Those are Psalms of disorientation. And the thing about Psalms of disorientation, they're they're written by someone who had certain expectations about God, life, reality but the crisis that they're now going through has upended all of those expectations and they don't know what to make of it they're having to reevaluate and reimagine everything about anything they've ever known including God third there are psalms of new orientation these are psalms Brueggemann says are written by a writer who started out with certain expectations about life and God and reality a crisis came and upended those expectations but they've lived long enough and they have persevered long enough that they've come out of the crisis and they can look back and see what God was doing through the whole thing and they have a they still have their faith and they they have but they have a newer understanding of the way life works a newer understanding of what they are capable of feeling thinking doing and they have a new understanding of God if you think about this if you're familiar with the book of Job you know Job the Bible says was the most righteous man in all the east Uh, he had 10 children he had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of flocks and owned lands he had a great marriage and then there was this little bargain that God and Satan made in chapter 1 and again in chapter 2 of Job where God allows Satan to afflict Job Job never knows in all that story he never knows what uh, is the real cause behind what he's experiencing but he loses all 10 of his children in a single day he loses all of his animals, and his marriage. He doesn't lose it, but it, it deteriorates significantly. His wife told him, he "says You need to just curse God." I got to tell you, there's some times when I'm in agreement with Job's wife. But he says, "You, I'm not going to do that." And so Job went from everything working like it's supposed to to all of a sudden catastrophe of catastrophes has hand out and then he has these three first three then four friends you remember they come and their message is basically this in a nutshell it goes on for about 30 chapters they say look joe here's what we can say to you because you've said this to other people good things happen to godly people and bad things happen to disobedient people you've said that we're saying that to you whatever it is you did go ahead and confess it and get it out in the open and so that things can work out and and job looks at him and he says i've done nothing wrong now the 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 ironic thing about that is job before the crisis hit believed everything that his three and later four friends are saying to him he used to believe that he used to say that to other people going through a crisis but now he's in the middle of a crisis and he knows that he either has done nothing wrong or if he's done something wrong he didn't even know that he did it when we get to the end of Job things are supposed supposedly set right he doesn't get his 10 children back but he does get 10 more children as if getting 10 new children will make up for the fact that he's lost the first 10 but Job now sees that he's come through this thing he sees that God was with him during the thing but he has a whole new understanding of life he has a whole new understanding of what is what is possible in life let me tell you something else. He has another understanding of God, what God will and won't do, what God will and won't allow in life. It's a very troubling question. Psalms of new orientation. Look back and see how God brought you through a crisis. Now, back to Psalm 90. Are y'all, y'all with me? Hello? Hello? Psalm 90 is a psalm of disorientation. Okay? It's in that middle category, written by a psalmist who had certain expectations about life, reality, God. They are being challenged and upended, those expectations, by a crisis, a severe crisis. And he has not yet come out of that crisis. He's in the middle of it. He's still holding on to his faith in God, but at the same time he's going to be honest with God about how he feels and so knowing that this psalm is one of disorientation when we read it and usually most folks read verses 1 and 2 and then they'll read verse 12 verses 1 and 2 Lord you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations Before the mountains were formed or even before you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a wonderful two verses. Or verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's a great verse. But nobody, nobody's going to read verses 3 through 11. Nobody. Because we don't like them. Because we wouldn't pray those words we wouldn't sing those words but the psalmist did get this psalms of disorientation there are more of them among the 150 psalms than either of the other two categories these guys were honest with god about their pain which leads me to say this kind of as a footnote it's okay to be honest with god about your pain it's okay to lash out at God. Some of us have been brought up that you don't do that. It's okay. He's a big God. He can handle your complaints, He can handle our questions, He can handle our anger. He's okay with it. Listen, He is an inf- infinite God, limitless God, who has created us as finite, limited individuals. He knows by virtue of the fact that he created us with limited abilities and knowledge he knew in advance that we would have questions about the things we don't understand and he's okay with it this psalmist said hey it's okay to lash out at God now psalm 90 has three sections the first section verses 1 and 2 The second section, verses 3 through 11, and the final section, which is verses 12 through 17. So let's look first at the first section. I call this the eternality and invincibility of God. Eternality means the everlasting nature of God. God has always existed in fact God is the only entity that we can say that about he is the only thing that has always been here by the way er everybody believes that something has always been here either you believe that God has always been here or you believe that the material matter material universe has always been here or there are some people who believe both have always been here but the universe has not always been here but God has there's never been a time when God didn't exist there will never be a time when God doesn't exist from everlasting to everlasting you are God it's present tense which which refers back to what God said to Moses Moses was on the mount Sinai and God says I want you to go to Egypt and bring my people out there and he says I don't even know what your name is man and God says, you tell him, I am that I am, which is, in Hebrew is Yahweh. Jesus kind of said the same thing 11 different times in the Gospel of John. People ask him who he was. He says, well, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the bread of the life. I am the door of the sheep. Before Abraham was, I am, Strange wording always present tense from everlasting to everlasting you are God God's eternality and his invincibility he's never failed he's never been defeated he's never fallen and he won't fail you now if you're in that second place I I, I need to repeat this to you because um and let me just say as a personal, I am currently in that second place and so when I say to you that if you're in that second place God will not fail you I say that because the instinct that we have when we are in the middle of a deep crisis is that God has failed me he has abandoned me so I get that but remember the psalmist starts out with the eternality and invincibility of God the everlasting and unfailing nature of God now there's a second section the longest section by the way section 2 verses 3 through 11 and I call this section the brevity and mortality of human life brevity means short mortality means you're gonna die for 37 years i was a pastor now i am a hospice chaplain i visit about somewhere between 50 and 60 hospice patients and their families at least one time a month i have two patients who are 102 and one of those who is 102 lives on the second floor of a facility, takes the eleva- gets, gets in her wheelchair, takes the elevator down to the first floor and rolls herself into the game area where people are playing rummy. 102. She calls me by name when I walk in there. 102. You know where I'm going to be when I'm 102? so i asked her one day uh, i was asking her some questions about what she'd seen in life and i said boy you've you've seen a lot and she said you know i don't know it all it, it, it's all gone by so fast 102 <laughs> it's all gone by so fast you see no matter how long we live our lives are brief there's the brevity of human life and there's the mortality of human life here's a prophecy for you i'm not a prophet but here's a prophecy for you unless the lord comes back you are going to die and the psalmist talks about that in verses 3 through 11 but more than that he not only observes that human life is short and death is sure but he goes on even further by saying that life is short and death is sure because now wait for it wait for it because god is mad with us don't take my word for it you can look you can look there you sweep people away in the sweep of death in the morning it springs up new but by evening it's dry and withered verse 7 we are consumed by your anger and then he He says the same thing in different words. We're terrified by your indignation. Who's he talking to? (laughs) He's talking to God. God is angry with us. Why are you angry? God has lost his temper with us. It's as if he's saying And therefore, our lives are short. Verse 10, our days may come to 70 years, three score and 10, or 80 if our strength endures. But even then, the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass, and we fly away. Verse 9, we finish our years with a moan. And then there's section 3, verses 12 through 17. And I call this section the necessity of trusting in God regardless of the crisis. You have to make a decision to do this. Right now, I tell you I'm in this second place, this disoriented place. I'm I'm having to consciously make the decision to trust in God regardless of of the crisis now beginning with verse 12 this writer says some things to God and editors over the centuries have have really diluted this I think to make it softer than the way it really sounds there are one two three four five six seven eight nine verbs in verses 12 through 17 and they are hear me imperative verbs an imperative verb as you already know is a command do this don't do that and so he says after he's talking about god's anger and and that it's shortened our lives he says look teach us to number our days relent relent means change your mind lord Verse 14, satisfy us. Verse 15, make us glad. Verse 16, show your deeds to us. Verse 17, pour out your favor on us. Establish the work of your hands. All of these verbs are imperative verbs. Listen, this this man is not asking God for these things moreover he's not even begging god for those things which would be stronger he is commanding god to give him those things when was the last time you bowed your head and commanded god to do anything you probably won't i probably won't either you know why i'm afraid too but really we shouldn't be afraid god is god is a big enough god this psalmist knew that he's commanding it's it's can you imagine bowing your head and say god you've always been there for us but now we're hurting and you've abandoned us so god you need to show up show out or shut up so let me draw this to a close let me let me give you three observations three important observations about this psalm and this is where the rubber meets the road if you have not been listening so far turn on the volume now three observations that come out of this song number one this writer recalls god's faithfulness in his past when you find yourself in crisis and nothing makes sense anymore and you don't see God anywhere you don't hear God anywhere nothing's working like it should be you don't believe you deserve this crisis and and mind you you may not deserve it contrary to what we've been brought up with you don't deserve every bad thing that's ever happened to you but when you are there remember god's faithfulness in your past there are there have been times in your life to this point where you know god has been with you and he didn't leave you and you wouldn't have made it without him remember those things oh lord you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations Before you made the mountains and the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you've always been our ever-present God. You've been my ever-present God. The writer recalls God's faithfulness in his past. Second, the writer is honest, brutally honest about his pain in the present. Let me put it this way. Stop playing nice when you pray. Just be honest with God. He already knows what you're going through. He already knows when you're angry. He already knows when you're hurting and you're wondering where he is. So if I if if I come to him and I'm feeling this way and I said, "God, you're so wonderful. You're so awesome." And God's up there thinking, yeah but that's not really what you want to say to me so why don't you go ahead and say it jimmy i love you anyway you turn people back to dust lord you consume us in your anger we're terrified by your indignation where are you The third observation, the writer holds on to his hope in God for the future. That's what verses 12 through 17 are all about. Now, let me just say this. Here's, the, here's this sermon in a nutshell. And some of you are thinking, why didn't you just say that, and not anything else? Here's the sermon in a nutshell. God is still our hope, even when life does not make sense. God is still your hope, even though your life right now doesn't make any sense and you're hurting so badly and you came to church today because you it was expected by your family but you didn't want to be anywhere close to any church anywhere i know i'm a pastor and i've been there but god is still your hope even when life doesn't make sense write that down carve it in the trees Plant it forever on your cell phone because you're going to need it. Let's pray. Lord, I look back over my life and it's only because I know that you have been with me multiple times in the past That's the only thing that keeps me standing right now because I don't know where you are. Your silence is killing me. I don't have to tell you that I'm angry with you at times. Can I be angry with you and love you all at the same time? That's what I'm doing. So, Lord, help us. Pick us up. Take us through. See us to safety. Make us glad for what our God is doing. In Christ's name, Amen.